the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadi Oxford, who is back from Japan. I am back from Japan. I survived. I had a very good time. And I guess you all survived without me. Yes, we did. We had a very fun episode last week, I thought, with uh, Katie and Mike, who... I mean, we needed two whole people just to fill your shoes, Nadia. (laughs) I would say I'm a high-energy person, but that's a lie. Yeah, so... Yeah, we had a great conversation about decision points in RPGs, and I, I, I really do think that uh, y'all should go check that episode out. I'm sure that you would have been able to add plenty of interesting things on your own. Like I was thinking about Suikoden 2, for example. I was like, oh, oh I wish I had hit on Suikoden 2, oh, that kind gosh. of thing. Yeah, you yeah. screw up one thing, you get that, that just changes your whole ending, and I'm so mm-hmm. mad that happened to me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and Nadia, of course, you related your adventures... Uh, in Japan on the flagship podcast. So if you want to hear a little more about that, you should go talk about it. But it sounded like you had a really good time. You got to go to Akihabara and do all that good stuff. Yep, I I did. uh, I went to Square Enix Cafe. I bought some junk. I bought uh, more (laughs) junk in Akihabara. Uh, Yeah, it was a a pretty good experience for my first time in Japan. Um, A little overwhelming sometimes because it's just not as many people spoke English that, that I thought would. So not that I mind, but I feel bad because I feel like the like the clerks, for example, are having a conversation with me and I can't answer and I feel so rude. <laughs> but even though I know they're probably just kind of going through the routine, like, you know, saying, naming off items as they go along and like, you know, naming out change. So I, I'm not really obligated to respond, but I just feel bad that I can't. I didn't really start to learn Japanese until I actually moved there. Because mm-hmm. until then, it was just abstract. <laughs> like, here's some random situations or, or whatever. But I started to realize the rituals once I got there. Right. The 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 things that people always say all the time. Yes, right. Ex- yeah. The platitudes. And once I got that, I started to get a much better feel for what the language was actually all about. Not that I can speak Japanese or anything, mm-hmm. but at at the very least I can kind of I have a fairly decent grasp on the actual rituals and things like that. Yeah, I feel like I I feel like if I had remained there a bit longer, I would have kind of been immersed in the same things like I was starting to recognize what they were saying and why so I I know what you mean by all means but I can't remember why did you go there you didn't teach in Japan did you no I totally taught in in Japan okay for how long yeah I was there for three years Uh, I lived in I lived in Tokyo I I taught for two years in Nova and then Nova exploded (laughs) it went (laughs) supernova (laughs) and then um i went over and i started writing curriculum for a company called gaba Mm -hmm. and then i moved back here so yeah that that final year 2008 which was 10 years ago wow at this point uh that was my best year in japan and yeah it was a good time i I really miss it but yeah i was pretty jealous uh but uh, I am a good and benevolent boss. I could have totally taken that trip myself, but I was going to send you instead because you've never been and you deserved it. Oh, thank you. Um, I have to say the the um, people I talked to were, were very impressed with my knowledge of the topic at hand. So that was a mm. good thing. Mm, interesting. But yeah. <laughs> I guess we will know uh, more about that in the near future. In the meantime, uh, just a few things that I wanted to highlight because we've actually had a fairly busy a week in terms of RPG coverage mm-hmm. on the site. 
First is Doc Burford's Destiny 2 article. That blew up. Yeah, it did. Uh, Doc, Doc really knows his Destiny 2, and he was able to go super duper in depth into why exactly Destiny 2 just hasn't resonated in the mm-hmm. same way as the original Destiny has. And the thing that the most cogent point that he seemed to make was that Destiny felt more like a sequel to Destiny 2 than the other way around, which I huh. found pretty interesting. That is, Yeah, that is a very interesting outlook. And he also said, uh, he also pointed out all the ways that Bungie, in his opinion, uh, messed up the balancing of the the metagame and that sort of thing and mm-hmm. what he thought the kind of the essence of destiny actually was and apparently destiny players agreed with him because there was like a a thread that had like eight thousand upvotes on the destiny subreddit where there were a lot of people going yes you're totally right you totally nailed it so go read that yeah absolutely i think we got like pinned <laughs> on the top for a while there the other piece is uh should be up around the time that this podcast goes up, which is my me recounting my epic battle with the Pink Rathian in Monster Hunter World. Oh my gosh, what an epic battle. I didn't even know they came in pink varieties. Yes, uh, the Pink Rathian is what I would call the final boss for kind of fledgling players. Like, right. you have your initial start, right? You have your... Your initial monsters, mm-hmm. your low-ranking stuff, the initial story. And I would say the Pink Rathian is kind of your final test before the game throws right. you into what you might consider to be the actual end game where you're fighting Elder Dragons and getting super high-level gear and everything. And, right. oh my god, that that thing was a... He was kind of a jerk, Nadia. He was kind <laughs> is of the, a the jerk. The Rathian is like the, the, the dragon wyvern things, right? Yeah, the Rathian is basically a dragon with a poison tail. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I knew there was the red one. I knew, like, the females are uh, uh, are kind of greenish, but I-, I didn't know they were pink. That sounds very pretty. Yes, but the thing is, a total jerk, and I felt like I was in a battle to the death. Uh, it reminded were. me... I, it reminded me of the battle in Evangelion, which I'm watching for whatever reason. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm watching Evangelion again. There, there's a battle where this this basically unstoppable angel has actually stomped into Nerve headquarters, and it looks like all is lost. But then Shinji finally comes in, and it's just this brutal knockdown, uh, all out drag out battle, where which includes at one point them battling all the way over to the catapult, and then they launch them into the air and everything, and that's kind of how I felt when I was fighting that thing. It was just completely holding absolutely nothing back, like flying through mm-hmm. the air, crashing through platforms. Uh, it was epic. It, it cool. was what, as epic a battle as I've ever had, ever in a game, period. What uh, weapon were you using? Uh, I used a longsword. I was initially using the, the charge axe. I, I think we were talking about this before, but... I like the charge axe, or the charge sword, sorry, that became this. But then I discovered that everybody was using it, and so I decided <laughs> That's to... That's a good indication. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I decided to go with the long sword uh, instead. Mm-hmm. And it's been a little bit challenging to learn, but now that I've learned it, I, I've come to really enjoy it. And it's really satisfying when you're using it properly. 
uh, to yeah. go in and just do this giant slash and have the wrathing of. I I started with the long sword, but I was like, ah, it's a little too slow for me. That's why I switched to the the dual blades. It feels slow until you start to get the hang of it, and right. then it's because you have to understand that there's this little charge meter, mm-hmm. and the way it works is you charge it up, and then you hit R two to do your your a really fast slashing combo, right? And then you get it, and if you can complete that combo, it turns white. And then you oh. feel it again, and then you do that again. And basically, your goal is to get it all the way up to red. Right. And you can also do this rad charging attack that becomes this flying up into the air and then crashing down uh, kind of thing. That's, uh, I'm trying to think. It's like Kirby's attack in Smash Brothers. Oh, yes. The, the sword one, where he kind of spins and uh, flies up into the air, comes back down, and yes. shoots the. That's basically that's what it was cool. in Monster Hunter World. Yeah, so. So that's, yeah, that's like so, practice makes perfect. Yeah, and I soloed it. I oh, bought it by myself because the I've been trying to bring in people, but they kept dying. <laughs> and finally, in the end, I felt like I felt like I knew, I knew what I needed to do. I need mm-hmm. I knew where I needed to stand to be able to get it, and I was able to just land so many fantastic hits. But it was also landing fantastic hits, and I was flying around. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I really want to go back to Monster Hunter World, but as we'll talk about later, as I've been playing Secret of Mana, so yes. and plus I've been in Japan, which is not a, so we can't really take the PlayStation Four on the uh, the plane with you. No, exactly. Uh, so yeah, you should go read the article, which is titled uh, "The Monster Hunter World's Pink Rathian Was My White Whale," which it was. <laughs> <laughs> Except it was at least, pink, and it was a dragon. At least for this, uh, at least for the past week, past couple weeks, because. I, I I found it to be a bit of a bottleneck, and I kind of explain why. But yeah, go mm-hmm. read that article. Uh, it was oh my god, it was so much fun. Uh, it was so satisfying. That takes that sucker down. Yeah, uh, it sound fun. So yeah, I, I on Twitter I posted um, a relatively famous GIF from football, which is of the Washington's quarterback Kirk Cousins running down the uh, hallway screaming, "You like that? You like that?" <laughs> I know Which he did after he had a huge comeback against. I was just so amped up after I took that down. Oh, nice. <clears throat> I'm I'm fanning myself right now. <laughs> Take a cold shower. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last thing I want to highlight went up on Monday was my Xenogears retrospective, mm-hmm. um, which uh, yeah it was interesting going back and revisiting that one, uh, Nadia, and just kind of learning about all the all the crazy history behind it and really how in over their head Tetsuya Takahashi <laughs> and Soria Saga and yeah. their team really was in making this freaking monster because they were a small team with not a lot of resources and, and he wanted ambitions. to make the and he wanted to make the most epic of epic RPGs freaking ever. Yeah, yeah. And uh and- kind of got there. Yeah, it almost killed him. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, like, had hair falling out and stuff. Oh, that's you know, so sad. It almost killed Mitsuda, too. It was ridiculous. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. When I think of people <laughs> dying for the games, even if we love those games so much and they're classics, and like, oh, yeah, I nearly died making this. It's like, dude, I feel so bad now. Yeah, I just... <sighs> it was it was interesting to go back and remember everything. Like, I had totally forgotten that Soylent Green is a, there's a major Soylent Green aspect to it. (laughs) 
Oh, I mean, I had I had remembered the fact that uh, Faye and uh, another character had were basically Adam and Eve and had been resurrected multiple times, but I had forgotten like the entire thread of how everything that goes on and the leader of the empire that's conducting secret experiments and wants to elevate himself and yada 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 it's crazy but it really is the jrpg to end all jrpgs plot wise but the main thrust of the retrospective was a lot of um yeah the main thrust of the retrospective was ambition the desire to tell these massive stories to delve into territory that had never really been covered before. Right. That was kind of spurred on by the rise of stuff like Evangelion, which uh, oh, yeah. came out maybe a year before Xenogears properly started production. And a little inspired. How Final Fantasy VII and Xenogears were inextricably uh, bonded, and then ultimately why Xenogears still really resonates today, because it really does resonate. Oh, yeah, like, we were talking about it on Twitter, and people were just saying how much they still love Xenogears. Yeah, uh, even for people who weren't there, as it were, I Mm -hmm. I think it, the fact that it's this kind of flawed but fascinating game that has the highest highs and the lowest lows really just kind of stands out to people, and the fact that, really, we don't make games like that too often anymore. No, No, we really don't. That was really when, like, uh, RPG developers were realizing, wow, we have all the space we could want, even though it was still kind of a small amount of space when you think about it in today's terms. Uh, but when you're when you're coming off a, a time period when you had to actually be mindful of how much text you had in a game because of space limitations, and then like, wow, now you can have a literal novel as a story if you want it to, to happen. That had to be kind of liberating, kind of intimidating, and obviously some developers got in over their heads just a bit. Yeah, like uh, Tetsuya Takahashi. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, go read that article. All right, but let's talk about some of the stuff in hand. Uh, So we'll start with Nadia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nadia, you were playing the Secret of Mana remake over the week. Secret of Mana remake, I believe, is out now, or at least the reviews are out. And the consensus seems to be that it's pretty disappointing. Uh, Consensus seems to be mixed, really. I know our own Jeremy Parrish was really not a fan um, I think IGN kind of has the same viewpoint I do, where that it's actually a good, fun game on its own and very enjoyable, but if you're looking at it from the angle of a remake of Secret of Mana, it is disappointing because, as we've talked about in the past, the original Secret of Mana had a lot of blank spaces and problems that could be filled and could be fixed, and the remake doesn't really fix too many of those or doesn't really fill in too many of the blanks. So that's why it's a little bit underwhelming for me but um i'm still really enjoying it like i haven't finished it but i'm i'm looking forward to visiting like my favorite locations in the game and i'm not disgusted by any means put it that way parish really didn't like that game he did not like it (laughs) he he made an interesting observation he said that the fact that the monsters can now attack in 360 degrees rather than Mm -hmm. just straight ahead or left or right or up like really messes things up because now ranged enemies are a complete nightmare. <laughs> are um, you are you finding that? I know what he means by a three hundred and sixty degree issue. Uh, that was me t- t- saying to myself, okay, I have to forget what I know about the original Secret of Mana and just kind of readapt to what this this weird three D world is. And once I did that, I was fine. I think I'm beginning to think that there was a um, 
a compromise too with the bosses. I find they're a lot easier now, uh, especially to hit with your your weapons. You don't have to like just spam them with magic, which is what you had to do in the first game. Uh, but maybe I haven't come up against too many ranged enemies yet, but I haven't noticed any particular problems with them yet. But all ranged yeah. enemies were also were they were a nightmare in the first game. Like you couldn't avoid their attacks like seventy five percent of the time. Yeah. And Parrish was also alluding to some very interesting remixes, uh, which you also <laughs> alluded to in Slack. Yeah, uh, there are accordions. Um, what? Yeah, you know the, the opening song, the, the official title is Into the Thick of It. It's one of my favorite pieces of video game music. It's just really relaxing, flute-based melody. that's just very calm. They'd remix that and added accordions for some reason. I'm like, uh, okay, uh, all right. Um, but I have noticed that there are some pieces that were remixed that I actually like a lot. So the soundtrack's not a total disaster. And either way, you can you can switch back and forth like between the old one and the new one pretty easily if you want. Yeah, that was the impression. Well, that's what I, I found. You could also have a Japanese uh, language and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I put on Japanese voices like uh, right away. I have to, I have to be honest. Uh, not that the English ones are terrible, just... I felt more comfortable with the Japanese ones because there was a lot of yelling and hooing and hawing and somehow that comes off as a lot more grating in English to me. One of the things that you were kind of observing was like that you were disappointed that they didn't take, say, what was it, the Moon Palace? Yeah. And <laughs> dramatically dramatically expand <laughs> upon it. It was yeah. funny to me that they that, that was the one that they demoed to me when I actually when they actually showed it to me. And it that was, is so funny. Uh, that's a weird choice. Uh, yeah, for yeah. something to demo. I, I don't know why you would want to show that off. I guess it's because it's very brief. It, it sure is. Uh, I was surprised when you told me that because, I mean, I haven't reached the Moon Palace myself yet, but I remember what you had told me about uh, the Moon Palace, and I said, well, if they haven't fixed the Moon Palace, they haven't fixed any of the the kind of uh, open areas of the game that, could, that really could use a little bit of, of filling. So it really is kind of a one-to-one... Uh, for the most part, a one-to-one remake of the game, which, for better or for worse, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I don't know, it, it gets down to what you want out of a remake out of, like this. Yeah. Do you want... I mean, I, I think the ideal example of a remake would be to come in and greatly expand upon the source material so that that's why it should exist. Uh, if you look at Shadow of the Colossus for the PS4, its mm-hmm. main reason for being was to take what was originally in the PS2 version and fully bring it in right. to the current generation. And right. you can argue with the results. I've seen plenty of people who f- are frustrated by the fact that they got rid of the grain, that it looks that it's lost some of the stylization, that it looks, quote unquote, too much like a video game, that it doesn't <laughs> use bloom in the yeah. same way. Um but there are plenty of other people who are like, wow, just like I can finally experience Shadow of the Colossus and it looks magnificent, right? Yeah. Oh, and they also opened a door that had never been opened previously. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, you can get, uh, there's a new subquest that can result in you getting a special sword. Oh, that's cool. Um, but it's actually an interesting point that you bring up Shadow of the Colossus because I think a lot of the same uh, uh, feelings apply here. Uh, one thing I mentioned is in my review is that, uh, or my impressions rather, is that to really kind of enjoy the Secret of Mana remake, I had to let go of Secret of Mana on the SNES, which is a game I've played innumerable times. I know 
every enemy, I know every movement, I know every piece of music. So of course, I'm just naturally going to rebel against this, this new thing that Square Enix has done. So I had to say to myself, okay, let's be objective about this. Is this a bad game? No, it is actually a really good little action RPG. Um, does it have its flaws? Yes, but a lot of those flaws were in the original Secret of Mana, and that's why, if the remake disappoints, that's why, because it doesn't fix those flaws. So if I'm going to admit, if I'm going to say, oh, the Secret of Mana remake is, is terrible, I'm basically going to have to say, oh, well, that means the original Secret of Mana is terrible, which is not. It's a, it's a fantastic game with problems, and I guess that's what the remake is, too. It it strikes me as a missed opportunity to yeah. really expand upon the source material, because... Everybody always just talks about the Secret of Mana remake or the, the original Secret of Mana as this game that's admittedly great, but could have been so much more. Yeah. And what could have been if it had been on the SNES CD and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I can't believe that they like took this classic and went through the trouble of putting it in a new engine, essentially. I mean, they were using yeah. the uh, Adventures of Mana engine or something to that effect and didn't really kind of tackle it full on. And I guess that's down to Square kind of going, uh, oh, whatever, we'll make some money out this. We'll throw you a little Basically. bit of a budget. Have fun. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it is definitely a budget game. Uh, there are certain areas where that's painfully obvious. I actually have let the graphics grow on me a bit. Uh, I find the character models, or rather the enemy models, are actually, some of them are really cute. Uh, the bosses, I think they look really good. The environments are okay. Uh, but there's still moments in the animation itself where you're like, wow, that looks so cheap. Why would you let, why would you do that? Um, like for example, when they try to enter a cannon, like for the cannon travel center, they don't actually enter the cannon. They kind of go behind it. And that's an illusion that worked in 2D. Okay. But it really doesn't work in 2.5D. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it really is. And their voice, their, their mouths don't move in the cutscenes, And that drives me up the wall. Why would you do that? Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna spend for full on voice acting, because I mean even the NPCs in this game voice act, like all of them, like all like every random schmo in in, in any town will, will have a voice. But you don't want to give me like the barest minimum of moving mouths. You're gonna make me stare at their hanging open gobs. That's it's just so weird. I I think that it's the same problem that the Tokyo RPG Factory is facing. Exactly. Yes. Which is. Square Enix wants to cash in on this nostalgia, but they're not willing to spend on it. Mm-hmm. And you would mm-hmm. think that, and I guess they see Secret the the Mana series as a third or fourth tier property, and maybe it is, but mm-hmm. it does have kind of the full weight of nostalgia behind it, which is evidenced by the fact that this game is getting coverage at all. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, it it wouldn't have gotten coverage if it were a lot of other games. I mean, uh, the. <laughs> Uh, there was a, a remake that came out on the Nintendo Switch uh, not too long ago, right? Yeah. And that game got barely any coverage at all because most people aren't super familiar with it. But people know people know uh, Secret of Mana. They sure do know that game, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I get like that you have to pick your battles, yeah. But I, if you're going to go through the trouble, I don't know why you wouldn't kind of go all out and actually make it a much bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm not asking for like a triple A game here. Just you know, some indication that you know that there are that Secret of Mana fans are very passionate. Uh, they might be a small group, but they they know what they like. That's for sure. Here's an idea: make it a triple A game. 
Now that would be interesting. Uh, you need new IPs, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Re-bring the Mana series into the AAA space. Go all out on it and uh, kind of hedge your hedge your bets by mm-hmm. making it a remake of Secret of Mana. Like a full-on I mean, remake. A full-on remake. I mean, I have to believe that there would be a pretty solid market for it. I, I mean, would it be the market that Square Enix would want? Would it sell 10 million copies? I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it would have a heck of a lot of uh, word of mouth behind it. I know I think that so. people would see it as kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it was like impressive to look at, uh, then it would turn heads and you'd probably get some new fans that way. Well, what do I know? I'm just some... Uh, there's a reason that I'm a journalist and not, you know, actually <laughs> calling designer. the shots. It's, we should make Secret of Mana, but it's a AAA <laughs> game with a AAA budget and a AAA marketing budget. And, and then we exactly. get the, the executives are just looking at me like, what? <laughs> what are you even <laughs> talking like, about? Okay, that's very nice, Cat. Okay, we'll get right on that. And then they go back to whatever they're doing. I'm sure that this will make Square Enix at least some money. It just... yeah. If they're really trying to test the waters and see if there's a market for the Mana series, this is a weird, weird way to do it. It really is. I, I agree. But if uh, if you ask me, should I buy it? Uh, I'd say sure. Give it a shot. Um, if you're a Mana fan and you have an open mind about it, and even if you just want a good, solid action RPG with actually, like, even though I, I am kind of reminded of Tokyo RPG Factory with the visuals at the same time, uh, I think Secret of Mana, the remake, still does have a lot more personality visually than those up in Lost Sphere and uh, uh, I Am Setsuna. So it's a, it's a it's a worthy investment. It's a good way to, to spend some time. I'm going to disagree with you, Nadia. Are you now? I'm going to say don't buy it. Don't, give, don't support this. Instead, buy an SNES Mini and play Secret of Mana on your TV. <laughs> and also... <laughs> Numerous other high-quality Super Nintendo games. Well, buy an SNES Classic anyway, because it's fantastic. Yes. Secret of Mana is better in the original 16-bit form. It looks better. And uh, this uh, maybe Secret of Mana remake changes some things, uh, improves Mm -hmm. some things in terms of the bosses, but not enough to sacrifice the classic look and feel of the original. Okay, that's fair. But um, ideally, do both. (laughs) <laughs> why not both why not both because we have budgets nadia <laughs> we can't be yeah. all as rich as you living over there in toronto yeah i'm, I'm really loaded let me tell you yeah uh, money bags nadia <laughs> all right so i've been playing another game a game that has been getting some coverage around mm-hmm. the internets it's called kingdom come deliverance an Oops. rpg that um I want to say it was fairly controversial uh, going in, but yeah. seems to have been getting a fair amount of positive press. Uh, it, it's a really interesting case because, so if you're not familiar with it, it is a RPG that is ostensibly about 15th century Bohemia, specifically what we would now know as uh, the Czech Republic and the events that happened there. And you'll forgive me, there are, there are a lot of names going on here, but it opens with a the son of a very successful king basically being a layabout who abuses his powers, and then 
the I, I guess the nobles appealed to a neighboring king who was related to him to come in and help, and that king just rolls in with his army and basically is like, "Hi, I, li- I live here now. This is my place. <laughs> Hi." Uh, and then, uh, so when the game opens, that king is marauding that that leader ruler is marauding around attacking um uh various areas including the area of our main hero who is a uh a a guy named henry who is a son of a blacksmith who is apparently a master blacksmith at one point in another life but has settled down into obscurity in some village he's making a really nice sword for a lord you're helping him out Mm -hmm. and you kind of sound like a peasant from warcraft 2 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i can't remember what the peasants sound like i, I oh, okay i remember now they they had that what uh, yeah what hold on that, that those are the guys hold right? on yeah okay. yeah that's pretty much what he sounds like <laughs> what what is it leave me alone that's well, pretty they, much what he sounds like aren't they like european aren't they supposed to sound like well i mean my grandmother's hungarian and they have a very unique accent to them but the only people uh who sound like have they have an accent is um Early on in the game, you're walking through your village, and there's this German, and he's called literally the Deutsch or the German, uh-huh. and he has a he has a pronounced German accent to highlight that he is different uh, from everybody else. Excellent. So, yes, um, so pretty early on, your village is attacked. There is much uh, much pillaging. It's uh, well, it's a scene and. <laughs> You have to make a break for it, and you head to a neighboring castle, and that, but eventually you try to return to your village to bury your, give your parents a Christian burial, Mm -hmm. and that is where the story really begins. So it's hard to know where to begin with this game. Uh, I wrote an article on the site where I was kind of like, you know, the realism in this game feels a tiny bit contrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I commented that I felt like I was piloting Henry like a robot. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. I don't know if you specified an Eva, like a, an Eva, but you did mention a robot of some kind. The image that came to mind was in Men in Black, the little uh, creature oh, that's inside yes. the jewelry person's head. Yes. Yes. That's adorable. Uh, that was me. I'm that person, and I'm piloting Henry like, I'm pulling all of the levers, watching yeah, all like the gauges. The lever for hunger, the lever for thirst. Now, let me tell you, the stuff that Kingdom Come is, does is not unique because mm-hmm. Fallout New Vegas basically has that stuff. Uh, uh, things like having to eat right. and that sort of thing. Um, it's a lot more pronounced in uh, Kingdom Come and is actually like kind of annoying. It's kind of actually kind of immersion breaking at points because you have yeah, you to mentioned. be constantly aware of it. So I'm not focusing on the actual experience of the game. I'm right. thinking about all of that different stuff. Uh, but more to the point, like the game seems really set on having you do a lot of, a lot of busy work, mm. which seems to be designed to put you in the moment. I suppose. <laughs> busy work uh, is busy work. Uh, I did see you mention uh, just how the hunger meter really kind of just kind of pesters you over and over and, and really kind of puts a, a damper on the whole experience. And I was thinking about that because I haven't played Kingdom Come myself, but just thinking about how, people feel hunger versus how they feel thirst. I mean, you can you can feel hunger, but it, it can actually you can live for quite a long time without food. And I was wondering uh in Kingdom Come like will you like dwindle to nothingness if you like in, in record time if you leave it be? If you're hungry, 
the you'll be swaying back and forth and the game will be like i'm so hungry Ooh, <laughs> i need to eat some food my lord no um and if you're tired like the camera will kind of blink in and out like right. oh i'm sense. exhausted yeah. it's it's not as that bad to, per se i mean like it i had a rather large meal and then i was able to pretty made much make do i actually overate and then oh. i was like you are now sluggish and slow and you won't be able to do as many things and i was like oh well okay well that's that's fine i suppose go for a jog your character is very lazy uh spends <laughs> a lot of time sleeping actually like the very first time you see your character he's oversleeping <laughs> so, so you know what this guy's sounding like a jrpg hero He's a orphan from a small village, and his father was a famous blacksmith who was retired into a quiet life, and uh, he likes to sleep. And yeah, that's the, fun- that's the funny thing, is that this game actually is not that different from your fairly standard RPG tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it feels like kind of a throwback in that regard, uh, in just in terms of how it presents its characters uh, and everything. It, it, if it, The only difference is that it's ostensibly cou- couched in real history, Mm-hmm. which I think is kind of the draw of this thing. Um, you can debate on how accurate that history is. I know that I've seen, I've seen some people, there, there's certainly been some disagreements on, for example, how it portrays people of color. Uh, mm-hmm. Rock, paper, shotgun uh, called out the fact that uh, it mostly portrays uh, Turks as kind of like these savage raiders and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I read um, that article. <laughs> the game has a codex that, like, just to drive it home, the game has a freaking codex that says, women in the Middle Ages, women were women didn't do anything. Men were in charge. <laughs> Deal with it. It doesn't actually say that, but it says, right. Mid- Middle Ages were a strictly patriarchal society, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Fine. Cool. Whatever. Fine. Like, most of the women kind of remind me, you know, like how they act in video games in general. You know, you have the kind of the mm-hmm. motherly figures and... You have, you know, prostitutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, uh, uh, at one point, it, as the prologue comes to an end, uh, you're fighting some bandits, and the bandit gets the best of you. And like a woman shows up, and she yells uh, an obscenity and points at him. And then a whole like load of horses come ro- rolling, and I'm like, I like that lady. That's pretty cool. I want to be the horse lady. Yeah, she's badass. All right, so. I mean, she wasn't on the horse. <laughs> she was just Still, she just kind of runs better. up, and then the horses come in behind her. Wow! So it's just like okay, I I do respect the idea of what they were trying to go for in terms of a historically accurate game, but uh, with with things like the horse lady just summoning horses, like like it's a she didn't Final summon fantasy. horses. I'm just saying, you're making it sound like she summoned horses to to to. No, no, she guy. she brought people. She brought in reinforcements. Oh, okay. Were people She didn't literally horses? summon horses. Were people on the horses or Yes, people were oh, on okay, horses okay. coming in from behind her. That makes sense. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're in like a village that's been completely burned out, it's full of corpses and everything. Okay. Yeah. Um so a few a few thoughts really quickly. I do think the combat is actually decent so far. I like the way that you can attack from different sides mm-hmm. and you're going for the parts that are kind of not armored and right. you can stab. And if you can kind of stab through a helmet, you can like put it right into their face and they're, they're dead. They're yeah. They're not dead. Kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and 
well, they're going to block your just basic blows. So you got to mm-hmm. kind of chain them together right. uh, without running down your without running down your endurance. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, because you can get you can get tired of here, right? If you overstand yourself. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I do like history quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts like Hardcore History. I have freaking Winston Churchill's five part volume on World War Two, and I even read most of it. Um, <laughs> Like history has always been kind of my jam. Uh, mm-hmm. More more recent history, especially like 19th century, 20th right. century, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I'm down. I'm down with the histories. Not as much medieval history, but I'm down with it. And it strikes me that this game has kind of an old-fashioned take on history. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that the, our old-fashioned look at way of looking at history is basically to focus on the so-called great man, right? Like right. gods and kings, right? Right, right. Uh, everything is shaped by these great men who arise and lead nations, right? Mm-hmm. And a more modern view is something what we might call like trends and forces. Uh right that lots of different forces act on different things, migrating populations, disease, whatever, and that's what gives rise to history. It's more of a bottom-up than a top-down kind of approach. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. So what you're saying is Kingdom Come is really more of that old-fashioned one man makes all the difference sort of thing. A little bit. uh, Just in the sense of from the very beginning – you're a peasant and you're living in this village and everybody seems very concerned at all times about what the king is doing and talking about mm-hmm. the king and king this, king that. Oh, ghost respect the king. Let us debate politics and grand things. And it feels like something that someone who is really into history or really into that particular period would say, right? right? right. Like they would put the, those words into the person's mouth. And right. look, I didn't live in 15th century Bohemia, so I don't know what they talked about. But I imagine most of it was, I'm working. I was going to say, like, how's the I got fail- I got fields to plow. I got I to gotta make this sword. <laughs> work, work. Have you ever zug, seen, zug. Um, I think it's Eric Idle, who kind of did a whole miniseries on peasants and how people lived in, in mm-hmm. medieval England. And it was very much uh, what you say, whereas... Uh, Whereas we think they talk constantly about their oppression and the kings and the lords and how terrible things were. They were just people living pretty normal lives complaining about the same junk we do. Yeah, I, I mean, I just... There's that, the stairway... Uh, I can't ever remember. The kind of the levels of need. Mm-hmm. So at the very basic level is, I'm hungry. Okay, now I have eaten. <laughs> All right, now I need <laughs> I to fed. be able to, uh, to sustain myself and like have a job. Okay, right. I can do that. And you just keep moving up on the levels until eventually you have wisdom because you have time to have wisdom. You have exactly. time to think about your problems. And peasants at a very basic level are going, I need to feed myself. Yeah. I need to not die. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's weird to be wandering around the village and have people like actually care about politics. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how it was. Maybe people were concerned with what the king was doing but that stood out to me, if, right. if you know what I mean. And that strikes me as just a thing with video games. I don't know if you can easily make an RPG, say, that really captures life in a world. Because 
so much of being an RPG of an RPG is having a hero protagonist. Yeah, absolutely. It'd, it'd be hard to really um, make that water like that water range of vision happen in, in an RPG. Yeah, it's like hard to imagine the son of a blacksmith uh, falling in with a lord and eventually rising up to become a knight and a great warrior and like having you know playing out this kind of role, right? Yeah, they're a freaking peasant. Yeah. The game specifically states that people have stations in their lives, right? Yeah, exactly. And peasants didn't really move up in the world very frequently. They didn't all. move beyond their station. And they were peasants. Yeah, exactly. But in this game, it's going to make allotments for that because you're the hero. You're yeah. kind of a dork. I mean, so, uh, you have to get your armor by stealing it, but still. Hey, it's still you still got it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I think the point is, is that that might be a limitation of the medium. Yeah, I think you're right, but I definitely see where you're coming from in that uh, this is a game that kind of contradicts itself a little bit. It can't really help it because, again, that's the yeah. limitations of the medium. But, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with your piece. I see where you're coming from. Uh, or, or in the sense of maybe not the limitations of the media, but the limitations of the RPG genre as we know it. Because it's a little right. busy. It's a little freaking boring to play as a peasant who's just doing their daily chores, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hear them, hear the peasants, other peasants talk about, oh, I have a horse. I have two horses, you know, yes. or whatever the hell peasants talked about back then. I understand why uh, Warhorse went for the whole, like, do you hear the king is, like, you know, fucking around sort of thing. Uh, but, but conversely, I think an adventure game could do a pretty good historical thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was making a is making a mobile game set during the French Revolution. Oh, that's that's fun. about the fashion of the French Revolution. And oh, that's, that's cool. A, that's a very ground up kind yeah, of uh, thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think different genres can tackle it in different ways, and that's maybe the strength of video games is that you can have so many different formats, right? Mm-hmm. So, so many different ways to tell a story. But RPGs as we know them are, you know, they're a very particular genre. And... So I guess so you could be a knight and everything, um, but you're just going to inevitably maybe fall a little bit into this very old-fashioned way of kind of telling a story. And maybe that's why we haven't had historical RPGs as we know them in the past. Maybe that's why we have your typical, uh, I don't know, uh, medieval ar- medieval fantasy. Why, right. Maybe that's why we've gone in that direction, because it's more fun to fight dragons than I to agree, yes. than to try and be as historically realistic as humanly possible. Although there's obviously a, there's obviously an audience for that the realism. Well, yeah, it's obviously really novel, and plus the game has achieved a certain amount of notoriety, so it's mm-hmm. going to have its boosters. And there's always going to be people who are like, "I want a game that's as realistic as possible, yeah. even if it's a game where I get the ale for my father and I stood around for too long and it went warm and I had to go back and get the freaking ale." And bring it back to the father again for no goddamn reason. Did he yell at you? Oh, I'm not. Yeah, he yelled at ale. me. Oh, I'm not drinking that ale. <laughs> Go get more ale. Do it it's again. Like, it's a 15th century pops. Take what you can get. Yeah. Uh, and like, I think the game could have cut down on the busy work. Is what I'm saying. Right. So it's weird things like I'm standing on the battle. Like we've just had a kind of a dramatic moment where. The army rides up. It's very tense. And you're like, oh, man, are they going to attack? Are they going to attack the castle that I've holed up in? And they, like, ride off. And you're like, okay. And they're like, well, stand guard on the battlements now. And I'm like, okay, I'm standing guard in the battlements. Now what do I do? Do, 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 do. 
I'm standing guard, standing guard, standing guard. Am I supposed to be doing anything? And then I go downstairs, <laughs> and then the guard stops me. He's like, oh, oh, first time being a guard on the battlements, eh? Well, just lean over on that wall over there, and you can wait until morning. And I'm like, okay. So I was supposed to wait using a little timer. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Right. <laughs> All right, fine. On the job. Yeah. And then the whole lockpicking thing. Don't even get me oh, started on the lockpicking. Yeah. yeah. Interesting game. Kind of boring. Not going to lie. But I'm going to keep I'm gonna keep on it just because I freaking sold 500,000 copies. It's kind of the discussion of the moment. And yeah. I'll keep pressing on it. I'd rather be fighting dragons in Monster Hunter World, but that's how it goes. All right, speaking of other games that we're playing right now, Nadia, it's time after a week off to get back to the Cosmic Star Heroin Report. No, I, I've, I've been having a good time with it. Uh, although one thing I think we're going to be talking about is uh, battles that go on a bit too long. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, well, so, I mean, we haven't gotten too much further than we were a couple weeks ago because we've had other projects going on. For example, Kingdom Come and Monster Hunter World. But... Uh, so the last time we talked, we were in jail. <laughs> yeah, and we were escaping jail. from prison, and uh, we were doing that whole thing. And then uh, we were fighting the mafia. Yeah, I was like, you know what? It kind of reminded me of Nadia. Nadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminded me of a piece of the action from Star Trek. Did you ever see that episode? Did you ever no, watch Star not. Trek? No, watch. I watched Star Trek, a little bit. My my parents were big fans of Next Generation. Actually, my father was a big fan of the original too. So I, I watched like through Osmosis, but I never really watched it. Like dedicated, sat down and said, "I'm going to watch Star Trek." It's the original series, basically. Uh, to put it, basically, there was a planet. A book was left behind called Chicago Gangsters of the Twenties. The planet finds the book, models their entire society after it. Uh, now you have gangsters, a gangster planet. And cool. that's the famous Kirk Spock gangster episode. Well, there was a Star Trek video game, Star Trek 25th anniversary for the NES, where you return to that planet mm-hmm. because McCoy accidentally leaves his communicator on that planet at the end of the episode. <laughs> they get hold of this communicator, and I guess they're able to create like a temporal vortex or something like that uh-huh. and sure. destroy their society. So you got to go down and get get the communicator back to save the planet wow those communicators are dangerous i know right that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so basically what i'm saying is that it reminds me of this when it's like we went from firefly to gangsters yeah and you had to prove that the mafia was helping out um i don't know local crime lord or something like that uh and hey look there's the mafia cool (laughs) (laughs) and there's a casino all right yeah, no, you're like in a casino. It's very alien casino, maybe a little bit like The Last Jedi. And yes. you're fighting the mafia. And at this point, like I hadn't played in a bit. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah, I sure am running through this casino fighting. So uh, there's the mafia guys. Okay, I'm fighting the mafia guys. There were like five guys to fight. Which yeah, the, was, boss, the boss battle was like uh, four mooks and one uh, guy who was uh, pretty strong. Yeah, and you have to take out the guy even if you take out the guy who's pretty strong you have to take out the mooks but let's see at this point i had um uh so the main character so at this point i had Alyssa, i had sue i had lauren and i had clark the robot yeah Yeah. and 
So I had a fair amount of area of effect attacks that made it relatively easy for me to hit a good chunk of the screen. Um, Lauren had this tornado attack, for example, which covered a very wide area and did a fair amount of damage uh, to all of them. So, yeah, I wasn't having any trouble. Did you have any trouble with them? Uh, Not with the bosses. Uh, Where I was having trouble was just uh, the regular encounters. I I found just because there was some of the enemies had like 4,000 or more hit points and... That can be that can be, take quite a lot of time to whittle down. I I thought at first maybe they were just so high leveled because uh, they they wanted you the game wanted you to use Clark because Clark as you mentioned in the last episode we talked about Cosmic Star Heroin Clark can blow himself up to great benefit to your party. Uh, so used correctly, Clark can actually shorten the battle by quite a bit. But uh, it just looks like that's the tone the game is taking from there on. That these enemies are actually small boss encounters half the time. Yeah, and uh, this is not a this is a fairly common thing in Z-Boy games uh games where oh, they okay. especially they did that in the Penny Arcade games as well where they made the encounters very curated and almost like puzzles. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I mean certainly a valid creative approach I suppose, but uh, and and the subject of Clark really quickly, I'm not entirely convinced that he's actually that strong. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> he's he's a sexy pelvis thrusting robot, all right, isn't he? I think one of the problems with him is so he can raise your style a lot yes, and he can do some damage and he has an ability that will make it so that whatever his attack, his next attack is, isn't going to, uh, isn't going to kill him. Yeah. Same so thing. you can have him do the self-destruct that will do a lot of damage to one enemy, like mm-hmm. about a thousand damage, or you can have him do the attack that will heal everybody. The problem is that it requires setup. They do. And I find that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he his his hyper is random. So you never quite know what to expect from him. Yeah, and, exactly. And yeah. I think even his self-destruct is a lot stronger if he's hyper. Seems like a little bit of a joke character. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the Dan of uh, Cosmic Star Heroine. Well, I think the problem, I mean, he's meant to be funny, right? He yeah, is he's funny. funny. He is a yeah. funny character. Clark is funny. Yeah. Uh, he's a disco robot, disco Clark. And, <laughs> but the thing is that if he's dead, then that's one less character who is yes. helping your party. And I guess you could set it up so that he just uses his attack and then Chan can say, bring him back to life with the revival. But then she has to use up one of her turns. And if she's like in hyper and you want to use her for an attack, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hassle. Yeah. He has to... Well, I have Chan being pure, basically pure healing. Oh, really? I have her as mostly an attacker and a little bit of defense, too. Yeah, I have her, I have all of the healing stuff on her. Mm -hmm. And plus just maybe one or two attacking spells. Right. She is, she is an excellent support character. (laughs) She's got some pretty good balance. Not because Alyssa, but she is quite good. Oh, Alyssa can do everything is the thing. Yeah, Alyssa's great. Yeah, but Chan can really heal the entire party mm-hmm. very effectively. And so it's unclear what Clark's strength is. He's kind of a little bit of everything. Well, I guess he can raise your style. He can heal a little bit. He can do some damage. Uh, he can do uh, some area of effect attacks. But I just never, I've never found that he provided the bang for the buck that I wanted in my party. And I wasn't really yeah. willing to build my entire party around him. Yeah, I, I kind of boot him out of my party as soon as I could, to be honest with you. He can also steal, but I 
find that I'm not having a problem finding credits, so I don't really use a steel attack. I have all the credits I could ever need. Yeah, much. exactly. Yeah, I was able to, every time I come upon a shop, I'm basically able to buy it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty happy with the shields and the equipment that I have on my characters mm. at the moment, so I don't feel any special need to upgrade them or or buy new ones. <laughs> yeah, that's one interesting thing about uh, Cosmic Tower Heroine is uh, the shields, sometimes they can give you a better defense uh, boost, but every shield has kind of an after effect or skills that may be more handy on some people than others. Like, if you get, like, a shield that has some fantastic attack and you have, don't have the hackitude to use it, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. You have to be very careful about what you put on. Yeah. Uh, uh, with Alyssa, I put the the super burst attack uh, shield on her, the one that lets you, her combine with other characters to do a super attack. Oh, I haven't, I haven't tried that one. Oh, it's really good. Oh, that's cool. Because... Uh, the, the attacks that she does with them are super strong. So mm -hmm. uh, especially if like, if you have a, a, a Reet in your party, mm -hmm. she, she will do a, they will do a massive area attack that takes out everybody without any question because right. it, it doesn't even have the little circles. It just whole screen. Everyone goes down. Uh, with Sue, like she does a really powerful physical attack. With Lauren, they have duet that's cool. And that will <laughs> that will cause regen to start on your party. Right. And I, I think also some healing. So it's I think it's essential. Like you have to have it because yeah. it boosts it boosts her attack so strong so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, after once I got a chance to uh swap in my characters again, I went back to Alyssa Chan, Sue, and Arit because mm -hmm. they're just really good. <laughs> and they, I find that they cover almost all of the bases. They, I don't, I don't have lightning and I don't have wind uh, right. covered, but I have ice, fire, earth, and uh, yeah, ice, fire, earth, and water, and that alone is a pretty solid range of everything. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I have Lauren instead of Arit, so I just yeah, like uh, Lauren. Um, Lauren's really good, actually. Uh, she has, as, I, I find she has a pain song, which is like kind of like a really strong poison attack of sorts yes. to get, that you can use against enemies. That's, that's really good for whittling them down. The pain song is excellent. Uh, the tornado attack is excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, just the fact that right at the beginning of the battle, she does a free, like, thousand damage. Yeah, that's really handy. Because she always goes first, and she starts with her uh, in hyper mode. So yes. she just go in and smack them right in the face. She has a, a move called microphoned. As an owned but micro boned. Is that the stun attack? It's a stun attack, yeah. And a big microphone hits the enemies. It's pretty great. Are you just using her because you are amused by the pun and you <laughs> just like the idea of the microphone hitting the enemy? No, I am amused by the mental image of the microphone hitting the enemies, but I'm not a pun person. They, they make me laugh, but I'm not necessarily impressed by them. Yeah, so... Except for, except I, for microphone. I think that's great. I just... I mean, I get all of that with Elite, Arit as well, because her drones are always attacking. Yeah. And then she can also throw the ice vials. And plus, I have attached... On, and plus, she has super high hackitude. So yeah, I have, I have a, a module attached to her that not only super boosts my party's attack, but also has a Molotov attack, which does it's massive a, fire damage. You got She's the bases good. covered. Yeah, I got all my bases covered with her. 
and I can just everybody is noticeably stronger uh, mm-hmm. with her in there. Uh, and I don't know. They just, I found myself getting through encounters so much more quickly mm-hmm. once I swapped over to Arit and had the Arit, Sue, Chan, and uh, Alyssa combination. So Maybe yeah, that's kind of my, I, I mean, go, go with what you feel. I feel like this is a game that you can conceivably play with everybody, including Clark. <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to give Clark that time and attention, sure. But yeah, I like Dave's good too. Like Dave is really good. Dave, yeah, Dave has a lot of. Uh, Dave is really valuable against mechanical enemies. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you're running into mechanical enemies and you can't poison them, you yeah, want, you want Dave. I would even say that Dave and Lauren is an excellent combo because Dave can handle all the stuff that Lauren can't easily, and Lauren mm-hmm. can handle all of the all of the biological enemies. Yeah, they make a good pair. So <laughs> after you take out. After you take out the mafia guys, you head up into, I guess, what you would call a swamp. And now there are bug monsters. Yeah, and it's nasty. I've already talked about this a little bit. But, man, there's so much whiplash in this game. Because you go from Firefly, Wild West, Casino, Robots, Dark Tower, Mafia, <laughs> Star Trek, Piece of the Action, to Bugs in a Swamp, Bug Creatures in a Swamp. Bio, biomechanical bugs yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it changes in a heartbeat they're literally next door to one another you don't even go to a different planet <laughs> no you don't although i have to say at least it keeps things interesting like you never feel sure. like you're in the same place for too long yeah i mean we complain all the time about games that have the same bland environments over and over again i'm looking at you mass effect andromeda it's really nice <laughs> to have a little of, it's nice to have a little bit of i don't variability i suppose yeah. Yeah, but. I mean, it keeps uh, it keeps you on your toes because, of course, every region has a different way to fight, a different kind of enemy that you have to strategize your way around. Like if you like, you were just talking about how you you have biological enemies versus robot enemies. Talking about two pretty different strategies there. So you're going through a swamp, and you have to get these eyeballs. And one of the eyeballs can be found in a house with a robot, and you can either barter, threaten. Did you find the robot in the house, Nadia? No, I do know the eyeballs you're talking about, but I haven't. That's where I stopped for now. I haven't uh, bartered mm. with the robot yet. Yeah, I, you should try threatening them just to see what happens. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. Even though it's kind of mean, I'll do it. I want to know. I want to know what happens for science. Okay. Uh, I, I was also missing the other eyeball for a while, but it's in a, a flower. Oh, okay. And, like, you can... It's right there, but it kind of blended into the environment a little bit. Right. So I was right. having a hard time finding it. It's what you need to extend the bridge. Uh, the encounters there are a bit longer and that that gets you into the bug village if i recall correctly okay um, yeah yeah and then once you're in the bug village you yeah you have to do this whole like song and dance where you're you talk to everybody cardinal rule of rpgs talk to I all the you were people talking about, like a literal rp a literal song and dance no no just, like, unfortunately i mean we've had that before with lauren but no no lo- literal song and dances um you you have to talk to everybody to fix the thing and do the thing and get the thing and then eventually you can go into the hive tower uh and there's a great there's a great little cutscene when you go to the hive tower where it pans up like an mm-hmm. nes game oh i love that like ninja like, gaiden ninja gaiden or i was thinking mega man 2 with the the building yeah i, I always whenever i play ninja gaiden i always love the moment when you climb to the top of the cliff 
And then suddenly it's like do 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 because you have um Ryu looking standing on the cliff looking out at the tower like it's a very cinematic game for its time. Yeah, I mean it looked really awesome on the back of the box, right? Yeah, that's true. A great box shot. Yes, exactly. So, but yeah, so you have that kind of moment where it's panning up and you're looking up to the top of the tower, but and the hive tower is actually relatively brief as well but one thing that kind of has started to stand out at me and we were talking about this earlier nadia Mm -hmm. um the actual enemy encounters uh they take a while to get through don't they they do Uh, i do have to say one thing for them is once the enemies are gone they're gone unless you exit the dungeon entirely and come back in so if you have to backtrack for some reason you won't go come across the same enemies again but they they still do take a while to get through i think Something that stands out to me that bothers me a slight bit is that there's not enough differentiation between the mobs and the bosses. Yeah, I had noticed that when I was playing through the casino area. Yeah, because you're because every time I would be fighting a mob, I basically spin up the same combo, which mm-hmm. I can almost imagine it in my sleep. Like it would be <laughs> same. Lauren would be go in, smack them with uh, the initial attack, then have Alyssa do the do another turn, have her do that again to another enemy, and then it cuts over to Clark, who does the style attack, and mm-hmm. then it cuts over to uh, Sue, who does the counter, counter yeah. and then just on... I, I just do the same moves over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, I do think this is a, a game that could benefit from programming a cursor in there and letting it just kind of do its thing. And I think that's the side effect of a state. one of the stated purposes of this game was, well, in so many RPGs, you're holding back on using abilities because right. you don't want to waste them. So many people right. don't use their potions or they don't use their item expendables or they don't use whatever because... They're afraid that they're going to have them for a big moment or need them for a big moment, and then they never use them. So I want to make it so that you can use them in every battle. But the side effect of that is that you just do the same thing over and over again every time you fight yeah. uh, an enemy party. And it's stayed... It's, I mean, the game is pretty, pretty short, all things considered. Like, I'm 10 hours in, and I'm well over halfway finished. Um, yeah. But it does uh, after a while i would like get to an enemy and be like all right well time to go through the the cycle again right (laughs) the cycle of life and death yeah exactly and i don't i don't don't know like it's hard to say it it feels a little bit like a flaw to me like i guess the enemy types are fairly different but Hmm. i don't even really feel that much of a need to acknowledge the different enemy types because I can just go through, I can just go through my cycle anyway, regardless. Yeah, like and I, have a, I have a pretty solid strategy for like it's similar to yours, but uh, yeah, I feel like I'd be like I, I expect a certain amount of repetition from RPGs. That's fine. I'd be satisfied if the HP was a little bit lower. Uh, yeah, it the, takes the a bit to get through. Drag on, and I don't know if uh, the easy mode makes them weaker, but I don't really want to play an easy mode either. So meh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I think the main difference is if they're weak to ice, I will use the ice drone, and if they aren't weak to ice, I'll just use the drone that ignores defense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'll do a, a fair amount of damage either way. 
And meanwhile, like inevitably, somebody is going to have a fairly strong way to do a lot of damage. And I can just keep buffing up Sue until he's doing freaking 2,000 damage with one punch. (laughs) So, or 4,000 damage, even if I manage to make them vulnerable. So it's kind of like, I I don't know. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know what I would do different exactly. Um, it's certainly a choice, but it kind of begs the question of what do we want out of our mobs exactly? Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. What's a good example, Nadia, in your opinion, of a of an RPG that just really nails the balance of making just the regular encounters interesting? Uh, I'm going to go with the really easy cliche answer and say Chrono Trigger. Okay, why? Um... I just always found that there, I think that the enemy, uh, what am I looking for, formations, always varied up enough between encounters that I really had to give some thought to, like, okay, am I going to use the Falcon Strike, which goes straight across, or am I going to use an area of effect attack, which gets everyone, and uh, the enemies weren't so, uh, uh, they weren't meat shields, like, they would, they went down, like, at, at a reasonable clip, and not so quickly that they were a joke and then of course you also have um the fact they moved around which could really change your strategy in a heartbeat also there were always really strong attacks that were being held in reserve and chrono trigger like you could break out your triple text or your really strong text for much harder enemies and you can get right. by on weaker attacks with uh with the other stuff and plus the battles go by really fast for the most they part. do yeah and you're right like i i never use my triple text for uh regular encounters usually but uh i use them all the time for bosses and so that i didn't feel like anything was being wasted yeah and i i sort of feel like uh another benefit of chrono trigger is that when you're fighting a boss uh, i mean every boss is requires vastly different a vastly different strategy especially as you get much later into the game Right. And and it really encourages you to vary up your party. And I right. haven't I haven't felt the need yet to vary up my party significantly. That might be because I'm not playing in the highest difficulty level, right? Which my understanding is the highest difficulty level is quite hard, mm-hmm. um, actually. And you really have to put a lot of thought into your strategy. But uh, I think that it can be a good thing to have a really kind of a good balance of that even when you're playing on say the the normal difficulty level which is where a lot of people kind of fall exactly like i mean let's be honest chrono trigger is just one difficulty and i feel like it's the perfect difficulty yeah i do too actually i I think chrono trigger really nails that Uh, a lot of people point to persona as another great example of a game that makes its regular encounters pretty interesting because the Enemies can go down really fast, but they can also be extremely dangerous. Yeah, um, I found that with 5 especially. And this is a thing with SMT in general, is that the regular enemies all have their strengths and their weaknesses and their very particular ways of attacking. And you see one, you go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go after... I know what I need to do against this guy, or I need. I know what I need to use against this guy. It's a fairly simple rock, paper, scissors kind of elemental damage thing, but it... I mean, things like as simple as, will they buff up their other party members? Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. how fast do I need to take them down before they become a real legitimate threat to my party, Uh, etc.? How easy can I get it into my party? 
all this stuff that you have to be thinking about while at the same time the encounters kind of fly by yeah i know what you mean uh persona 4 in particular i found that I could not just... I'm, I'm very much a physical attacker in RPGs, but you can't do that in Persona games. You ha- you really do need your elemental attacks, and you need to use them. You won't be holding them in reserve. Yeah, exactly. And, and then more on the side of PC RPG kind of side of things, a good example of interesting mobs would be mobs that you can kind of engage uh, whenever you want um, and often drop good loot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're like going, oh, yeah. So mobs that are relatively easy, interesting to fight, and are worthwhile to fight because they drop interesting stuff. Yeah, I like that that positive feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in Monster Hunter, you'll be running through, and it'll be like, you'll suddenly see a pack of, I don't know, lizard things coming at you, and you go, hmm. Well, I could ignore you, but I know that you've got some good loot. (laughs) Nice thumbs out. Or even better, if or going full Diablo, Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, here comes a horde of enemies, but I got, I am about to just nuke this entire room, and that feels really freaking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the meat, the meat of this game is its regular encounters. Mm-hmm. And I want to say they're boring. No, because they're time-consuming. A little bit. Yeah, no. And they kind of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of go slowly. And I'm using the same attacks on them. And I don't know if there's a more optimal way to be going about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange. But I, I don't know what I would do differently in this case. But Yeah, same. I'll be experimenting a bit, see if anything comes up. But for now, I'm just doing what I'm doing. Well, I feel like I've got my party down, right? Right, exactly. Like, I feel like I can probably experiment a bit more, uh, but I'm probably going to leave Clark on the sidelines. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to see uh, as we continue into what will hopefully be the last couple chapters of the Cosmic Star Heroine Report. All right, Nadia, as usual, we're going to go through and have some of the list of responses. Last week, of course, we were talking about multiple endings in RPGs and making meaningful decisions in RPGs. And Fallout, the original Fallout 1, naturally came up came a up, bit. Yeah. St. Judas of Sleep said, My own inclination is towards the type of endings that are determined by your actions throughout the course of a game. I still remember the feeling of surprise when my vault dweller shot the overseer at the end of Fallout 1 instead of quietly accepting his destiny. As much as I love JRPGs, I'm usually a bit annoyed by the true ending model, requiring very specific actions and pathways. To me, multiple endings should be about multiple viable endings, Mm -hmm. rather than a bunch of bad or so-so endings, and only one true conclusion providing narrative closure. Yeah, I I agree with that. I like the idea of having multiple viable endings. Yeah, I feel Undertale really nailed that, uh, because there are three very distinct endings, and a bunch of, like, little variation endings, but, uh, those three distinct endings, if the only way to really uh, comprehend the entire story of the game is to get them all. And uh, that genocide ending is not easy to get in any regard. Flipsider99 says, I am not a role player, so personally, meaningful endings just come from a good storytelling for me. I don't particularly care about a game providing meaningful decisions and find that games that put too much of an emphasis of role-playing your own story tend to have less interesting stories than what I'm looking for. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I always just kind of like the... Sometimes there's like a happy ending. Like, I find Final Fantasy IV's ending is, is very cheesy, but very very 
good in its conclusion. Just it, pretty much what you expect happened just happens. Everyone's friends, uh, Rosa and Cecil get married. Hooray! Kane's an idiot. So I made a little I made a little bit of a mistake during that podcast, Nadia. So I highlighted uh, Super Robot War Alpha Wars Alpha Three, and I said that if you let Edion get uh, too damaged or too hurt, the world would end. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the way that you get the universe and ending, the, there is an ending where the universe ends in that game. Wow, and the way that you heavy. get that ending is you have to beat the game once, and then you have to get all the way to like mission fifty-seven. <laughs> and then you do a particular uh, pathway. And if you do that pathway, you will go down the end of the universe ending where everybody wow. just knows that the world is going to end. And you are basically kind of stuck, as it were. <laughs> and then wow. you get the the ending from the movie Be Invoked, where basically the universe ends. But you see that uh, that they a person has been reborn and that there's uh, life and death and rebirth and that kind of stuff it's all very buddhist but very dark yes. my apologies for saying that wrong but yes there is an ending in super robot wars alpha 3 where you destroy the universe so that's pretty bad <laughs> that's one hell of a conclusion just like you can destroy the bad guy or you can go destroy the universe you're gonna go all the way in muchan says so many things to talk about in this podcast i tend to pick when i feel is the right choice and see how things go for me like with witcher 3 i am a snarky guy who turns down money to poor people when i'm given the chance I think one of the issues I have with the ending of Mass Effect is that you're pretty much doing the thing you were stopping in Mass Effect 1. So pretty much it's the, it's only okay when you're doing it because you're the hero, which feels weirdly wrong. I just mm-hmm. couldn't enjoy it because I honestly hate the whole idea of Mass Effect. Humans are the newest race, but for some reason they are treated as pretty much gods and even given the highest office for no really good reason. Just, well, it was meant to be, which never sat right with me. Right. As for, Yeah. So, I, I mean, I agree with that. Humans being all special and stuff. I prefer the stories where humans are kind of insignificant. Yeah, uh, I think Master of Orion was like that, where humans were just like the boring all-around race. And the only reason, the only thing that was really good about us is that we were easy to get along with or, I don't know, manipulate, I guess. Traitors. Traitors, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You got five fingers, you're dexterous, you're good. Yeah, nothing special, squishy mammals yeah. living in a backwater planet. Careless. It's always humans with a special destiny, but we, we gotta we gotta feel like we're important, Nadia. <laughs> uh, Andrew, the way fifteen actually takes issue with Chrono Trigger's multiple endings. Hmm, that's interesting. On the historical examples, I'm less satisfied by Chrono Trigger's multiple endings as time goes on in terms of what they reflect in the main characters, and more in how the endings show the story of the land, its shifting territories, and how different groups handle the erosion of their homes over time. I guess I see where he's coming from, but at the same time, I feel like. Chrono Trigger's different endings were just so much part of his personality, especially since the the endings varied wildly depending on what you did. Like some were like credits rolls and they weren't really special, but gosh, the one with like Magus and Frog is just incredible. Or the one where Magus goes up against Lavos. And then of course Chrono Trigger, I don't know if it gave us Noop Game Plus, but it certainly popularized it. And Nice Guy Neon says that Blood and Wine is the best Witcher game if you've played the whole series. Uh, because it's just, it's very standalone, but it's entirely connected to the original trilogy. And it just has an amazing ending. I haven't seen that ending. Well, I'll of course not, because you haven't played Witcher 3. No, I haven't. I really need to. Yeah, that's what we keep saying. But one day, <laughs> one day, <laughs> Nadia. All right, let's uh, end this episode before I freaking hack a lung out. Uh, <laughs> Axel Blood God, the US Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. 
follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford, and of course all of the US Gamer accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. We stream every Tuesday and Thursday. And hey, Nadia, you are on another podcast. It's called the US Gamer Podcast. Let's tell me what that's all about. Uh, let's see. This week we talked about um, my trip to Japan, of course, and we talked about. Uh, I can't remember what Katie was playing. I think she was playing uh, Florence, and uh, she talked a bit about that. And um, I'm really blanking on what our main Kingdom Hearts was. Three. Oh yes, we talked about Kingdom Hearts Three. All right, that was the thing yeah. we talked about. <laughs> exactly, we're talking about Kingdom Hearts Three and all of that good stuff. So go check out that podcast. And uh, yeah, as I said, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. Next week, we'll be back as per usual for more podcasting goodness. Make sure, of course, to subscribe and tell your friends. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we love to hear your thoughts. We love to hear nice feedback and nice comments from you guys. And yeah, I mean, we do take all of that to heart. Uh, even if you have some constructive feedback, please don't be a hater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, until next week, for Nani and myself, thanks for listening. Until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>